Welcome to Crossing Face, where a Christian and Muslim speak religion and politics. I'm John Pinna. I'm Elliot Tillman, and today we don't talk about religion or politics. We just, yeah, we speculate. It's the yeah. speculative conversation about what is. Yeah. And uh, as usual, I'm not saying it was aliens. going on with this picture that you say has been up the whole time in your office and I've never seen it? It's a highly um, stylized arrow. I was going to say minimalist geometrical representation of a spaceship moving across the rings of Saturn. It's actually very literal that. It actually looks like Saturn. Now it's, I didn't say it was like, abstract. I said it was minimalist and geometrical. It's only minimalist if the, if the ship doesn't look like that. What? So, it's, uh, yeah, it's not... I've never sat in this vantage point. I've always sat there. Oh, I see your problem. So, um, but I've, I've looked over at that. I, 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 I'm 100% sure that hasn't been hanging there. Hmm. I don't know what to tell you. But it could be that... I didn't know what was hanging there before, last week. It could be that the rules of reality are shifting and ways that uh you're not it's fully well, aware it's more likely that you in a disruptive manner changed the picture and said i'm going to stick with this narrative and see how far i can go with it nope sorry yeah that's been that's been up there for a good year okay yep is there anything else that's uh would you like to blow my depth whistle i don't know what that means will, will people die because that would be great no, this is a, an Aztec death whistle. What the hell is that? They would blow it, you know, while they were going into battle. It sounds like like uh, screaming. I, it sounds unnerving. Yeah, it is unnerving. It's a very unnerving sound. Jericho won't let me blow it. So it's, it sits there, but I never get to use it. They would blow it before they went into battle. That's what I'm told. Green. Yeah, it makes just a, a very unsettling sound. And Aztecs were kind of unsettling in general. Well, I mean, they put up a fight, a hell of a fight. Yeah. And they uh, paid dearly for it. All those Tex, the Tolomecs, the Aztecs, all those guys. Yep. And that's my favorite part of Mexico is um, Mexico City. Mm. I they had this beautiful park on a hill. They recently did like a 3D reconstruction of what Teotihuacan looked like. Um in its glory days. Yeah. I mean, they have vivid descriptions. They have maps of it. Uh-huh. It's what a shame. It is a shame. It's, um, I mean, I, I think that you could say that specifically in the case of, uh, middle America, Mes- Mesoamerica, the, um, Europeans set out on a, path of genocide intentionally uh or if not genocide complete subjugation well the the comienda which is the spanish system 
you know, it just means the economy, right? It's a Spanish system of part of, of exploiting resources for the empire was pretty deliberate. Uh-huh. Um, I think that we live, we live in a society where, you know, we talk, you know, they, they talk about colonizers. I was accused of being a colonizer last night. <laughs> you don't have to tell me about that. Well, it's funny because we, what, what, in what context was I, what were we talking about? Um, I'm trying to think of what I was, uh, it'll come to me, but so, you know, they're Columbus was, That's sort of the, that's sort of the impetus, right? So the people don't want to celebrate Columbus Day; they want to celebrate Columbus, uh, and they talk about it being a colonizer and all kinds of bullish stuff. I think he was a, I, 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 I think that pejorative terminology is a little crazy, but Columbus certainly was trying to do something. It's a hell of a feat to cross the the ocean in those in those in those. In the in the you know the Pinta and Saint Marie, I think his once he founds the, the new world, and I'm using little f because we know that people were there, and we know that civilization civilizations existed. Factionalism ensued, uh-huh. and people aligned themselves with the Spanish, and people then went against the Spanish. The kingdom instituted a deliberate. It wasn't. I, it, I don't know if it was a genocide initially, but that they did was they essentially embodied or empowered individuals that were criminals to see what they could do in the new world. So you have two hundred and eighteen guys that roll in on horseback to fulfill a prophecy for the, the Incas and the Aztecs, for all those, for those people. And they just, and, are couple, and they're all married to Jesuits mm-hmm. who, are, who are soldiers of the church, zealots. So they're, they go, they, they and, and the 218 people destroy the Incan empire. Yep. Now they were aligned with the enemies of the Incas, but they were just mowing them down. Mm-hmm. And then they meet the king. Uh, what's that guy's name? Montezuma. Montezuma. Yep. You know, they kidnap him and they say, bring all this gold. They bring all the gold, then they strangle him to death. Yep. So, I, it, you know, not, my understanding of it from, from what little I've read is that the Compestadors looked upon the natives with contempt. Well, they weren't people. Yeah, according to, so the the it is pretty well documented that the idea of um, I don't a cultural and ethnic, I think it was jazz on it. It was it was just it was straight straight like liquidation and oppression. So you know maybe it was genocide, but there there was a campaign of inter interbreeding. Mm-hmm. Where you can't, it's difficult to tell the difference now, right? So you have like the, the, the Latin America, and then you have indigenous peoples, 
problem is, is that the, the natives were no angels. You know, so, I mean, the Aztecs, you know, when they conquered you, that it was pretty complete. Yeah. They, they, you know, they, they've sacrificed 10, 10 20,000 in a clip. And I was, I was, to be on that line must have been really, really tough. You're like, you, you see that damn pyramid and you're going, well, you know, I guess we, you know, we've got an hour left until we get up the stairs and they start, they start attacking <laughs> our genitals. Yeah. Well, you know, then like, they're going to, not first and well that was actually uh self-mutilation is, is that, that there was a form of practice of uh, self-mutilation that they practiced and then I mean, they would go for the heart yeah well there was a heart but then there were you know there was yeah, a lot of there was a lot of shenanigans they loved blood was very important a lot of sacrifices so blood was very important to the aztecs gold was very important to the so yeah there are no good guys this worth the ball was the head yeah so Okay. There are no white hats in this situation. I agree with that. Yeah, that's a, that's a Johnny B phrase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but but here's the thing. But it's just terrible when a per when when I think we I think we as humans and I'm well we're judging we can't we don't engage and then there's we have this idealistic sort of like wish things were equitable. We would just figure out a way to make it work. But the Spanish during that time were something else. Yeah. So I mean, I met. Like imagine just this fantastic scenario where, say, we go to Mars and against all expectations, we find that there is a civilization there and the civilization makes a regular practice of sacrificing its children or something like that, right? In, in that situation, would most of us feel despite all other ideals, some sort of moral obligation to step in and correct it. Well, that's, that's my, see, that's my dream right now is that if we could just get rid of the, the Jesus on the cross, because all it takes is an alien civilization to come here. And the first thing they see is Jesus on the cross. And they go, these people, we got to figure out, we got, we got, we have a moral and ethical situation to stop them crucifying people and idolizing crucifixion. But that would be a, a matter of ignorance because if you actually understand what Jesus on the cross represents, then the problem resolves itself quickly. A lie? Oh, come on. Do, can I take three minutes to, before we go to Pauline to unpack it? <laughs> no, no, I know. I, I, you know, poking funny. So, so, so the answer is no. No, 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 no unpack it. Let's, let's, let's talk. Because no, you were talking about this alien thing, right? Yeah. So, the idea, do we have a moral? So it's always, see, I'm just, I just flipped it, right? Mm -hmm. So what if, what if we go to this, this alien world, we see this stuff, we have a moral and ethical thing because they're sacrificing children or whatever. And we, you know, how, how much could we possibly know walking into it? Yeah. Well, I think that's relevant because I think that we live in an interesting cultural situation where uh, there are people who, who grow, have grown up in America or Europe who are so unfamiliar with the Christian roots of these societies that something like the symbology of the crucifix is alien to them. They don't understand what it represents. And so it, it seems as horrible as it looks on the face of it. And they're, and so there's an interesting opportunity because if you imagine that aliens landed in a flying saucer in Times Square, 
and you know pointed to the nearest crucifix that they saw and i was like what is what is this yeah why is this so important it depends you? on who they talk to it, it absolutely would yeah. that's the point i mean i'm, I'm being i'm make. being foolish about you know and how i'd say oh you know this is what when i'm saying they countered and did that because they think it's not that cut and dry but the problem is is that if you're I don't. I don't think anybody. I don't think the Spanish were doing the math at all in South America. No, uh, they were. They basically showed up. They said, "Here's, re there's resources. There's people. Let's align ourselves. Let's go." W what we've seen is terrible enough to us. Yeah. So uh, we need to kind of figure this out. In the same respect, ninety percent of the drive was empire. So they said, "Work. This is it. We're establishing colonies." We, and, and here's the thing, they, they, they weren't that great at it initially. Um, but I, I think that taking, I, mean, I think Columbus was a, a, an amazing explorer. I think that he was, he certainly was a person of his time. There's no doubt about that. And they all were, had this mindset of sort of, we're going to institute, uh, you know, Catholic empire. Yeah. And the Catholic Empire was very passionate about how they did things, and it was very one-dimensional. Um, I, I I wish they did. I mean, I, I wish they did, and maybe they did do. When we were in school, they taught us. Oh, they had these state all this writing and this codexes, and the Jesuits burned them on the beaches. That, that's what I remember. Uh -huh. My my hope is that it or is that the the, the Vatican libraries has had the actual codexes that they just. That would be great. And I don't think it'd do, but it would be great. Well, you know, this is the thing the Pope could possibly do. This is, this is like my call, like to the Pope would be, why don't, why doesn't he take something that's, that, that has nothing to do. That's, that's more, that's more historical than anything else. If they had some codexes, pop them into the public. You know what, if they, what, they have some, you know, something that's, that's, that we don't have presently that's not gonna in a name of the rose esque way destroy the Catholic church well that's the problem is the butterfly effect yeah i think that anything like that assuming that it existed could potentially be a can of worms and you couldn't necessarily predict what the outcome of it would be you think, so you think like if they had a big codex or like let's say say like the catholic church had well, I mean, we, you know, they actually have, I mean, I, I think that they, if they did have, I think the angel exists, the book of sayings of Lazarus, I think Jesus is it, the, the angel exists, and the Vatican has it. Well, let me put on my conspiracy theory hat for a second, and... Listen, I'm not being conspiracy theory. Well, no, what I'm saying is that from that vantage point, do you remember back during the Clinton administration, when Clinton was like, okay, this is it, we're going to tell you what happened to Roswell? Yeah, I went, I remember that, and I don't, yeah. And what was that? It was just a smokescreen. Yeah, there was nothing. Yeah, there, because anytime that the person, the, the, the entity that is holding the information says, okay, out of the benevolence of our heart, uh, we're going to release this information, there's no way to, to, to not suspect that they're just giving you a little bit of what they have well and holding back the rest for some so you know, it's like you have to hold back yeah you think yeah but yeah what, what those, those those civilizations are gone and and if they had that information how fantastic would it be to have some of their history or 
you know, what would that? Of course it would be because there's a lot of interesting mysteries about the the Mesoamerican civilizations. They were very paradoxical. Um, and I mean, you think of something like Teotihuacan, it was amazing. As far as I recall, if, if, if memory serves, they built that thing without wheels. Yeah, no wheels. They didn't have wheels. They didn't have, they didn't have metal. Yeah, they were um, they understood how to move things with, with you know, kind of well, vibration and, and the, moving. The thing is, we don't actually exactly know. And they also had an understanding of astronomy that was far superior to the Europeans um, without any um, telescopes or anything like that. And, and so um, it's just really quite amazing and I, I think that what we can agree on is that when we're looking at a situation, especially like this this one in particular, um, there are no obvious good guys. Um, nobody was, I mean, it was basically the meeting of two very brutal cultures um, with tragic consequences. Well, you, you, we were talking, you know, I'm trying to remember the situation last night because I was sitting with friends and we had four hours of crackers and cheese, which I'm not going to you know, weigh into that because if you show up 30 and you have crackers and cheese, and, or yeah, like well, up, up four o'clock crackers and cheese, but it goes into the wee hours of the night, it has to be a meal. Yeah, it can't just be crackers and cheese. I agree. So, so I had a, and, I, and so it's the cordialities or niceties. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is one of my phrases of protocols. So there has to be a point once you hit dinner time to say it. Should we get a pie? Should we get a pizza? Yep. Should we get Chinese? We all were at their place? Yeah. Okay. And so generally I'm very vocal about things, but I was trying to disengage and I was unsuccessful. Uh. Um, and you could read into that as much as you want. So we were, I'm trying to think of what we were talking about, but I, I'll maybe I'll get there by talking because we were chatting about how the diversity of our country and, and of course again the political conversation and i say you know we have differing opinions here different languages in america different cultures and you can indigenize yourself you can integrate you can you can um as much or as little as you want and if you don't want to integrate you could disappear mm-hmm. you could be in you could just isolate yourself and go into the interior of the country or you could stay in your city and be as isolated as you want because uh-huh. that's the culture we have right and the, the, the challenge is is that I think different cultures have gone about it differently. I think the British are very successful at I was talking with we were chatting about how the diversity and when someone said, well, the Brits, they're very you know diverse and I found out they're not. They have one city, which is London, the next biggest city is Edinburgh, six hundred thousand. then you have like Manchester, which is four hundred thousand. in order to be British, in order to be accepted, you have to speak with a British accent. You have to go to a British school. You have to become your oppressor, and then you're fine. But you, and then there's a whole class system all the way up to the House of Lords. So you have to be that in order to be accepted. And so there's the diversity doesn't exist like it does here. And so it's it's a completely different model. And so the, when we talk about the Spanish you know, a Pandora's box opened when Columbus hit the new world, right? Or hit the, hit, 
the, the West Indies. The problem is, the challenge is, is you had an isolated, if you go back, you had two isolated, independently evolving groups of human beings. Uh-huh. And the significance of those human beings interacting for the first time since the land bridge disappeared. We're not going to go into like ancient aliens or whatever <laughs> or shit. Uh, you know, so there was an exchange of DNA that happened. So like we brought, well, Columbus brought not only the genocide or whatever it is and all smallpox or whatever, whatever sickness he brought, right? You want to know what we got from them? Gonorrhea. That was something that went the other way. Hmm. So it's, it's, so no one, you know, talks about that, right? So there was a, a pure on a biological level interaction because of Montezuma's revenge, could be. I don't. I don't know. I seem to recall that term being applied. Yep. Yes. Yeah, so, so here's the problem: is that there was a true biological exchange at that moment that might be the most profound, might be in the top three most profound moments of human history. Right. Yeah. These two really unique, evolving human samples that and then end up interacting, and and, and for the first time in whatever, in a hundred thousand years or whatever. And, and all of a sudden there's this exchange, the, the sociopolitical thing you have, you know, I have a tendency to talk about, right? So this idea of, uh, and, but that, I think that profound moment is something that nobody's talked about. You know, we don't talk about school. So, yeah. so, and then we have a tendency to, to idealize that the, the term, the noble savage, which is terrible. <laughs> I think it's terrible, but the idea of the noble savage, we, you know, everybody's conquering everybody and it's a pretty terrible uh, uh, existence if you're on the losing side of American native mm-hmm. warfare. Yep. But but if you're the winner and, and all of a sudden the Europeans show up, they say, well, this is our land and this is our thing. And it's like, well, we're just, you know, everybody's just kind of playing the same game of empire. And so, but I do, I, I do... I've been I've been to Mexico City, and I've been up on this day this huge park on top of this hill. It's really beautiful, and then you can go to like one like one or two places that still has, uh, you know, kind of the the reed islands and and stuff, and it, it's 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 pretty amazing. Uh huh. And they were warriors. Yeah. You know, they're fighters. It's just they you know they just didn't have the salt. But uh, well, they didn't have the technology. Yeah, you know, whatever salt you needed, whatever that may have been. There was, it was a, there was technology at play and there was biology at play. And technology, biology, and yeah, I mean, they, they, but they, they, there was, they didn't have lives, they didn't have horses. Yeah. I mean, that's, horses didn't exist on, just think about the biological. Well, horses were also, I would factor that, that would be technology as far as I'm concerned, because. Well, there's more technology. Yeah, yeah, the Europeans developed the technology that included horses. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, but now we have wild horses and everything. I mean, just that, it, you know, invasive species is something we talk about a lot. But I mean, you just, you're introducing a whole new solid dance. It's just, it's, it's, fantastic. Well, I think that that's the kind of the interesting uh, point that I was alluding to at the beginning. There's this sort of like meta warfare where um, I, I, I was tr- I was trying to get to the distinction between intentional genocide and unintentional genocide 
where in North America, the picture, while still very complicated and mixed, was less one of Europeans coming in with a desire to completely subjugate and destroy the local population and more a case of unintentional genocide you know, where yeah, our, talks, yeah. Our, the diseases that we carried, they had no defenses for. Yeah. And so obviously it was a very mixed bag. There, well, there were cases where were you giving them blankets filled with smallpox, and they know that. Okay, but by that time, it was they they had been caught up in our war, right? With what, what, what I'm saying is, yeah, there's you're right, and and so that's the thing. There was an unintentional genocide with the with the sickness. Then there was some intentional stuff, but we focus on the intentional stuff. Is the reason why I bring that up when it was unintentional. Yeah. So if my point is, and and this is, I think, what is not talked about at any level. Uh, is, is in the educational system anyway, um, is that in a, in a scenario where Europeans showed up in absolute benevolence and their only desire was to share information and to gather a benign knowledge and understanding, Star Trek style, of the, of the natives, right? Even in that scenario, yeah. genocide would have taken place because we still would have given them the diseases and most of them still would have died. Now, that's not what is that, a, is that a, what Is that a genocide? Well, it would have been an unintentional genocide in, in the sense that the, the end result would have been the vast majority of the local population dying off. Now, I'm not saying that that is what happened. It's not. But... It's, it could have happened and the result would have been essentially the same. And so um, basically that is to say that there, there are levels of tragedy in our history, only some of which, like over, only some of which anybody had any real control. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, if, 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 you know there's, there's definitely a weeding out of the herd. When it comes to sickness in our civilization, you know, we, when you get the, the black plague and, and all these, I mean, yellow fever and all that stuff that goes on, we've had so many of those pandemics or epidemics or whatever we're going to call them. I don't know how we got in the American Native conversation, but the, the challenge, I, I think that the unintentionalness, it, it, it's, it's pretty tragic. Yeah. I, 80 million, 80 million American Natives when, when colonists were here, total throughout the, the Americas, and then it, it substantially drops down to, you know, a, a few million uh, in the course of a hundred years, two hundred years. It's pretty terrible. So, I mean, outside of like just human life in and of itself, there's this great tragedy of having these rich and complex cultures that now have we have very little understanding of them because the opportunity has not been given to us to, or we don't have the resources. Um, the records don't exist, right? And so, and, and that's a tragedy and, you know, just outside of the loss of human life in and of itself. But I think that in our day and age, we have become hypersensitive to 
um, to this sort of desire for justice and we forget that human history is a history of tragedy and injustice and often that tragedy and injustice is something that is enacted willingly by humans but often it's not often it's just what happens so so this is the conversation last night was someone called me a colonizer in the conversation and i said well colonizing is different to me i said you know colonizing is like you know stepping into onto someone's land someone's real estate and saying oh you don't have a flag i have a flag popping it down and saying this is ours and now we're going to implement uh uh, uh we're going to start implementing our 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 political process and, and processes and then and take over so it's essentially you put that flag and you say uh this is our land now come take it from us right and then you start implementing a system of 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 uh of control when it comes to i think columbus had the he he was working for an empire but it was the all the all idea was opportunity right so there's a difference when it's your opportunistic and the intention was opportunistic i think in its in its in its impetus right so the idea was to find uh the, the passage to the indies right and it and there happened to be something in between uh-huh. once you encounter those people i don't think it was there was any kind of immediate this is part of just now and you know we're going to conquer this place i think immediately and and this is pretty well documented local some local tribes saw these guys and they said we've had these problems with these other guys can you help us because we're oppressed and so immediately there was a parlay and an accord and because of an immediate threat and, and but you once the spanish once the the viceroys once the bureaucracy got involved <laughs> like with with everybody's everybody and the church certainly yeah you know they're like this is how we're going to do we're you know we're going to evangelize through oppression mm-hmm. and that's just how it's going to be and we need and and we need to support the empire i mean the spanish empire at that point had a real financial problem yeah so they were at the end with all of the riches and gold and 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 and, and treasure they brought back i mean has anybody ever done anything about the mismanagement of that empire and all those resources because what were they doing with all that? You know, they could have really, it could have, it was what a great infusion of, of, uh, of finances, but the Comienda was long. It was, it was, it was established. It was long. And the genocide culturally was pretty, is complete. Militarily, there were survivors, but I think by that time, everybody was integrated into the Comienda and became spanish uh-huh. in at least culturally and, yeah and religiously christian yeah i would say that i mean obviously it's it is its own distinct set of cultures in in middle america but very heavily influenced by spanish culture so, so my impression is that the a great great deal of the originating cultural um, influences have been 
unfortunately lost and, and some planted by by European culture. Um, but it's created a, a very interesting hybrid. Uh, I mean, the, the the version of Catholicism, broadly speaking, that is practiced in that part of the world is not European Catholicism, and it's got its own kind of uh, underlying um, groundwork of, of um, I'm trying to find words that aren't offensive, of um, perspectives and um, and I like the, the the preoccupation with depth, for example, right? Yeah. So uh, just looking looking at at the the, the way they, they revere their dead ancestors and, and and stuff like that, there's this stuff that was carried over at a very basic level from the Mesoamerican belief systems and um, sort of interwoven with the um, Catholic faith that was imposed on them. Um, and, and it's an interesting, I think that in this particular case, um, the word imposed is, is probably accurate. They just, they did not have a choice but to accept the faith. Yeah. And so that creates a, an interesting dynamic, regardless of, you know, um, how sincerely, you know, uh, as a general rule, people adhere to that faith now. It was, it, yeah. I think. Well, I, I, every time I've gone to any church, right, in in any non-American church, so so when I go to when I was South America, I went out to what was it called? The, the, the thing on the hill. What was it called? The uh, they they discovered it. It was on. It was it was covers unspoiled. It was a the nunnery in uh, in Peru. What's that thing called? I'm not sure. It's like all the names now of mm. places. Cusco was the capital. And then uh, uh, it was undiscovered for all these years. And they found it. It's on a mountaintop. No one knows how they built it. So this is a uh, um, um, an abbey, a European no. abbey. Uh, the, 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 the American native site for, for uh, uh, what's it called down in Peru? What's it called? Famous place. Oh, just the the famous ruins in Peru. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> that should be coming readily to mind. Yeah, it should be. Uh, it should be coming. You know the uh, what is it called? Down. This is terrible. That we, I can't. I'm. 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 I didn't have any slept last night, so I'm. Hmm. I'm in. Uh, no, we're not. Not going to do it. So. You know, they found it, it was all covered and they, they it turns out that it was another ring it was a for for the American natives. Machu Picchu Machu Picchu. Yep. Mal, uh, sorry about that. So what a terrible that, that should really this should be right as it works. Yeah. Today. I haven't slept so uh, I, I, I I I literally wake for four hours at after working you know, my, you know, I work we were you know, I'm either doing the NGO work, government work or for the for the bakery. Yep. And yesterday was you know, Sundays are busy stay at the bakery or having some staff which is so I worked, you know, a fourteen-hour day as as I normally do, uh, um, but then like four hours into uh, a a crackers and cheese conversation, and then had to go had had to go back into uh, a whole bunch of stuff that needed to be done at the bakery. But anyways, um, so I just 
left, you know, op- you know bait opened, then came here. So uh, Machu Picchu and Cusco, which was the American native capital, right? Mm-hmm. For, and I, 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 every time I go, I, I pay, I pay, you know, whoever it is, generally it's a hundred dollars. And I say, bring me to the lowest point. In the, Cause everybody wants to go up to the highest point. I can get two shits. Let's go down to the lowest point and I pay down. And they say, yeah, we really can't do that. And I'm like, what, what are we talking about here? And so if you go to the lowest point in the cathedral in Cusco, or just about any of the churches that I've been to quite a few, I've you know, been in Natal, been in the Proso in Brazil, and it, it ends up being a kind of spooky cave crypt thing. So sometimes there's an altar, sometimes there's a, and it's very, very clearly like a rough cut or or either a rough cut or there's stonework that predates the church uh-huh. and they either leveled it or did something, but they kept that intact because they just built upon it and they restored things there or whatever, because it was a good seller. And if you go to Muslim countries, you go to Mazar Sharif and you go to the blue mosque there and you it's an old fire temple, master. So our Astrian fire temple. Nice. Uh, there's fire temples littered throughout uh, Afghanistan, for example. Uh-huh. I went to one that was shooting down to Lolandar and and took a big left and went and because everybody said, "Oh no, there's a there's a fire temple. It's 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 in the mountains, but it's, you know no one goes there. It's, you know, covered in ice. You know, you know. There's a, and of course there's you got to go through this valley and there's going to be a bunch of ghosts. So I said, okay, well, you know. So, um, but there's all these ancient ruins that churches or mosques or whatever were built on. And generally there's remnants of what that is below the substructure. I was in Padahamlin, which is in Hungary. And it's a, you know, it's over a thousand year old Benedictine monastery uh-huh and it's really funny because we got what miss mom took me down and we was all you know it so yeah and there is this really spooky cool set of the cave system that's clearly they had cut it's old school they're like yeah we don't really know how old this is and i'm saying so this was at one point asia so I go, so, you know, the, 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 the Hungarians are fantastic people because they, you know, they, they fought off the Mongols, they fought the Ottomans, they're uniquely positioned to know what uh, it's like to be under the impression of another, another faith group. They were occupied by the Ottomans, uh, the, 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 you know, the Teutons were fought against them in these open fields. Of course, you have World War II history and stuff like that. And so I said, how old do you think this is? And he goes, I don't know. And uh, and, and then I said to him, well, you know, what's down here? And he was funny. He would go around the corner and he goes, what's, he goes, well, what's this? And he goes, well, you know, there's a little, it's like a lot of the guys keep some of their statuses here of snacks. <laughs> so, it's like, so there's all these little, 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 hilarious and he goes he goes yeah we all we all pretend we don't see the other guy's stash of snacks and i say i go it's the comedy of this is hilarious and so uh 
And, and I go, yeah, I go, well, I guess that's part of the thing. You know, you want to, you guys do your thing, but you know, everybody needs to feel special in some way or have a retreat to something. And he goes, yeah, he goes, it's just part of the, the culture of it all. And, uh, and it's, you know, there's no, there's no harm in it, I guess. And I go, oh, okay. So, so, but yeah, it, it appears that there was a lot of different snap stashes <laughs> in these catacombs, which was kind of comedic, but you know, the, 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 there was that, there's that, uh, that, did you see ancient apocalypse? Did you see that on Netflix or whatever it was? I did. Yeah. You, you know, I watched that. The, the, and, and I, you know, it, it only, it, it, the logic model only goes so far because, you know, when you go to a point where, so I, I mean, I think with our civilization, what do you think about that? I mean, I, I, what did you think when you digested that, that timeline that he was talking about? Because we do know that a hundred thousand, the first ice wall broke, that about 50,000, the second ice wall broke. And there must've been human interaction between a hundred thousand and 50,000 when there was stability. And then from 50,000 to about 11,000 when the last sort of ice wall broke. What are your thoughts about that? I'm largely sympathetic to the notion that human history goes back further than we are generally led to believe. And I think that um, the, the guy who did that documentary, what's his name? Um, I can't remember his name, but he says yeah. this phrase, like we, it, we just keep up, su- we suffer from a, a, a sort of amnesia. amnesia. Yeah. I always like that. And he likes saying it just keeps getting older. And, and, and broadly speaking, I agree with, or I, I observe that I've been kind of, I developed an interest in what's called out of place artifacts uh, as a teenager and kind of started developing, like at the time, um, built a small library of articles and stuff like that on this topic. Um, and what I've observed, you know, in the years since is that um, as we make new archaeological and anthropological discoveries, it does just keep going further and farther back. And um, we keep pushing that barrier of when humanity, as we understand humanity um, exhibiting itself, just keeps getting earlier and earlier. And so that's something that I've observed, but I also have a strong um, psychological or, or, or personal predisposition to wanting to believe that things are older than we think and that there's a mystery back there. Um, and that just seems to be something that's kind of hardwired in me. And so I recognize within myself a sort of subjective bias towards that as well. Well, you know, we're all products of our, of our childhood. You know, the, the, you know, can't just stop with, you know, an adventurer going in and finding, uh, the the holy grail it had there has to be all the things behind that there ha- you can't it, it you know the i i'm you know we're all victims of our of of the of it of our, of our indiana jones upbringing yeah so the challenge is um we we are always the first one is is really amazing because i watched it again recently and I, I, I'm like, God, it's just really, really disruptive of any ancient site yeah. up to a point where I'm just, it seems very superficial how he goes in and he's like, I'm going to grab this and going to do that. Then there's competing guys who are like, well, I'm going to take this and you got to, and maybe kill you. Um, but 
in the end, it ends in everybody knows how Indiana Jones, the first one ends, right? It ends up with the art goes in a box and get, and the U S government has it in a warehouse. Yeah. The, the conspiracy to hide reality is, is sort of implanted at, at our young age. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and, and there's sort of this superficial interaction with major historical pivotal events, right? So, I mean, it's, it's following the arc, which is you know, arguably one of the most profound historical events of our civilization. Whether you agree or disagree about religion or whatever it is, is there's a lot of specificity in the Bible about it in the Old Testament. Uh, but then on top of that, it's, we, you know, it's lost to, lost to time, you say, right? Yeah. Um, the, the, whether it's mythological or not, doesn't in any way diminish from its impact. Right. And, you know, well, I mean, just, we start, whether you say BCE, common era or before common era, the bottom line is, is zero starts with Jesus. Yeah. And, so see, you know, it was set to know who he is and mm -hmm. what it's about, because why does it start at zero? Whether you, you take, you take the you know, after death or before death moment. So, yep. So all the stuff associated with those movies, it, it were victims of that. And the mystery of what is there is always, it's, I think it's, it's programmed into us. Cause you, you sent me this thing today. You were talking about what, what was the thing you sent to me? Oh, it, it's, I don't know how we can make a no, connection between the two, but yeah, it was, does being ruled on fate predispose us at, at to irrational loyalty or illogical choices. Mm -hmm. And they simply, I mean, what was my response? Yes. Yeah. Um, so, so the, you could, if you, if you just proved religion right now, it doesn't matter because I believe. Uh -huh. So that's the problem is that I, and I don't see that. I don't see the problem in science. I think that you can make a case that anything that any prophet is really an interdimensional being is like it, it and we are understanding it in the uh, in the construct of uh, of a, like a tesseract we can only interact with the shadow and so but we know it exists over here but we can only interact with the shadow so god is a lot is this is we know to know no know him to exist but all we get are the shadows on in our dimension right yeah and so how do we, we, we muddle through as best we can? Uh, and when it comes to this whole thing about the ancient apocalypse, here, here we are, right? Here we are sitting and we are trying to understand as much as we can and what proof that we have. This is what historians say. Well, there has to be proof. So they know... I don't know. He had some place in Indonesia. There was a big temple complex. And there's a chamber that he yeah. they can't get to the chamber. It's right. I, I'm not even going to try to do the math on that. But okay, you know, I, I, a historian would say, okay, you know, the, the so what and what now? As a practitioner, as somebody who's studying history, as a historian and jet in general, have written about things. But then on top of that, as a practitioner, his career, my next thing would be like, well, let's 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 we have to run this down to prove the point. There's a lot of supposition in his in his claims. So. Yeah, well, my my understanding of it is that there does seem to be some intentional obfuscation in the sense that, um, correct me if you if you think that I'm wrong, but if you go to a place like Jerusalem or Egypt or something like that, um, and 
um, ask to excavate in certain areas or explore in certain areas, the answer will simply be no. Yeah, I it, my my experience. You know, I spent four years doing uh, in, you know Tunisia, Egypt, Iraq, and 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 helped with the Arab Spring. Um, and you know, as people say, well, does that mean Moldali Ziada works for the American Zonal Congress and was the organizers? My organizer Tarj, where um, I you know I spent some time in, in Prague and Algeria, the Arab Spring, and then and then so I know a little bit about the region. What? There's there's three my experience with ancient sites in that region, particularly Egypt, was has been was really interesting. There seems to be people that have there's there's and this is this is happened in Afghanistan. So it's like like you could they people like you can buy a mummy, like mm-hmm. you can buy one. Yep. They'll say okay, you know, like, oh you're interested in this, you can blah blah blah. We can do that. And there's people that know, like there was a discovery maybe a year or two ago about a bunch of mummies in a, in a specific region. Of a specific, specific area, it was this big discovery about a, you know all these mummies were in this one area. Well, the the local population knew that was the, where those mummies are. They know where all these places are. Yep, and they there is peddling, an illegal peddling of of artifacts and stuff from ancient times. But then there's this, then there's sort of this formal. The, 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 the ministries that are involved and they know their country. They've been to these sites. They're, I asked I asked a prominent archaeologist from the ministry about the substructure that is said to have existed, the Giza Plateau and this large cavernous structure that was part of the temple complex. That like Like a like a um, what what the, like the thing up in in Albany? What's that thing called? You have the Capitol Plaza, then you have the concourse underneath. Okay, and 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 he said to me, you know, it, the, the story, what what we what's what's here, what we've shared with everybody is is this much. Uh-huh. Uh, and he said, well, I'm not going to say it does exist or doesn't exist, uh, but he goes, have you been to Istanbul? I go, yeah. And uh, he goes, have you been to the Hippodrome? I said, yeah. And he goes, well, have you been to it? I go, I actually have. The Hippodrome, there's a platform, and then you can go underneath, and you can actually see the Hippodrome. You can stand where, you know, all this stuff, where the, 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 the carts were going, the chariots and stuff. And you can go into a lot of the sum structure of Istanbul, into Constantinople, and into this stuff. And, and th- there's ways to do it. Uh-huh. Uh, and the government can facilitate stuff it is it is possible and i that's always my ask when i'm a guest of the government it's always they always think oh like in vienna, in vienna can we go to the opera kit they got the, they said you're a guest of government what can what, what would you like and they thought oh opera tickets and, and a dinner at this restaurant you can't get things and i said oh, i'd like to hold the spirit destiny uh-huh. and 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 maybe the, maybe the chalice yeah that was funny you know yeah anyway, so that's I, I always my request yeah uh and so I, you know, when I was when I had some work for the for the Turkish government, that was my request. When I was talking with the Egyptians and I was talking with some prominent members in the ministry, they they were very very clear to not say no, and they were very clear to say um, what what's there is is for is is for is for the Egyptian people. I don't know what that meant, right? Um, but I think what it means is they have an industry of 
discovery and that industry of discovery is that it, it, you know that economy means everything to the Egyptian people. Yeah, and therefore that value they leverage appropriately with a plan, uh-huh. and that appears to be the reason why they're doing stuff now. So the discoveries are there now. If they're holding back, um, is that wrong? Maybe, but the reality is, is that we live in this complex society where you have to leverage your assets. They don't have oil. Right? Yeah. So, and history is an asset. Yeah. Like I think that throughout the existence of the human species, cultures have always shown a desire to control their history and whether we're talking about the history of the ruins in Egypt or we're talking about the interactions between Native Americans and Europeans um, we have always had a, a motivation to control that history and so now you know, it's different now than it was in the 1950s. The way in the ways in which we want to control that history is different now, because we are exhibiting a different set of values. Yeah. But the control is no less obvious. What? Yeah. I mean, here's the problem: is that I think that the idea of a cons- of a conspiracy to hide. historical evidence of an earlier civilization i i don't know if i buy that i i i think that so the ancient apocalypse i think it's pretty it's documented there's there's proof of these ancient uh, cataclysms it's very hard to link and it's very hard to interpret what all that prehistory is and prehistory meaning before we were, before our written history, right? So, so I think that's difficult. We do it now, and we have proof, right? So, um, you know, I, I I think it's it's the um, I just uh, there's this thing called the Cyrus Cylinder, right? Um, and the Cyrus Cylinder is a cuneiform. Uh, clay cylinder yep right and it, it it's it's dated to 539 bc yeah and uh it was discovered by a bunch of dudes in, in 1879 Achaemenid empire uh-huh. cyrus the great yep uh i always i, I reference it because it, it's the first sort of lines of that talk about dignity of the human person and human rights. Yeah. Now, uh, we're taught in our culture that it comes from the Greeks. Yeah. And that, and we're, you know that that it could that nothing you know came from anything that's non-Western. Our the cradle of civilization might be Mesopotamia, but it's kind of glossed over. And then it then it's like you know then when we pop to the Greeks, and then the the fall of the Greeks is questionable. And then we get to Rome, the Romans, right? So yeah, yeah. So and then we talk about civilization, and then it it it, it spirits us to the church. Yep. And then and then we say, well, but the church became you know corrupt, and so we had to get to the Reformation, and 
that caused a little bit of that trouble, but we're going to gloss over that. And now we got into nationalism and now we have civilization and everything's okay. Yeah. And that's, that's how, that's how it's taught in, in the, in, in, in the West, at least. So, uh, and I always talk about that. This I was great now and and the cylinder, because I, I argue about dignity of the human person. Yeah. I think that's what we're talking about here is that we have a, I think that we have a desire for a structured narrative um, that has like a clear beginning, middle, and end. And we always want to be at the pinnacle of that narrative. Like, we want to indigenize um, it into our own culture. Well, well, we want to, I think that we always want to imagine that we are at the height of our culture, in our society. And that's, that's a kind of a modern mindset. I don't think that the ancients, um, there seem to be among, the ancients, uh, from from what I've read, um, it was common to believe that the society in which they were currently living um, was not the peak of their civilization, that there had been previous times that were better uh, and that were higher. And... I mean, so for, um, and in, in, our, in our own civilization, we have, like, for example, the Renaissance, right, where it's hard for us to imagine as moderns, but there was a time when even Europeans looked back to previous times and idealized, and idealized them as being higher and better right. in certain ways well, than the time in which they met. Now, a lot of times with conspiracy theories and all kinds of other things. Yeah, but it's only in conspiracy theories. Yeah. The, the normal narrative is that we have reached the pinnacle of human civilization. Yeah. And I think that that's sort of like, there, there, is, a, there is a reaction to that, um, partially because not everybody is sure that that's true, but partially because I think for most of human history, it hasn't necessarily been true. And, and so maybe at a certain level, we sort of rebel against it because it's not actually normal for humans to think that way. Well, I think we have, because of competing empires, because of competing countries, national nationalism and so forth, I think that there's a passion to make sure that we tell the story as we see it. There's a podcast that I listened to recently. It's called The Rest in History. And these are, it's, it's a British podcast. So right off the bat, um, you know, it, it's, it's gonna, it's, it's gonna be atrocious, but so you got Tom and this guy, Tom and Dominic, and they're really interesting because they talk about the American revolution, a series on American revolution. Oh, wow. And, it, and, and, and it was a very, there was one was fair and the other one wasn't fair. So the one guy he talks about, it goes, well, you know, we don't really teach about the American revolution because it's really insignificant part of our history. And the other guy goes. Well, it's insignificant because we lost. And the yeah. other guy goes, well, you know, we, we, we celebrate losses. Like, and he said, talks about Gordon of Khartoum and stuff like that. He goes, yeah, but we eventually win in the end with those. This one we lost. And that was the, the, the purest moment of that conversation. And then they, then they say, well, to talk about the American Revolution, we bring in this British historian that, that's an American expert from Oxford. So right away, they pull a nerd from Oxford who's a Brit. Yeah. who's going to speak and obfuscate the truth and can't possibly know the impact of the American Revolution from an American perspective. 
Yeah. Well, as a loyalist myself, I, I think I'd like to listen to that podcast. You should. You yeah. should. It's there. You know, there's a lot of licking of the ears of, <laughs> of the British into the point where, um, you know, it, it's sort of this, we're like, it's like we charmingly befuddled our way into independence and, and sort of in a magnanimous way, the Brits let us off the hook. Um, you know, they don't want to talk about how the Brits oppressed their own people, other Americans, and try to use, you know, the, 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 the well, basically did looked at them as subhuman. And the idea is, is that because they were colonists, and it goes back to our initial conversation about Columbus, you don't need to discover a new world. All you need is an opinion of superiority and class structure to oppress your own people, mm. which is why we were about, um, as, as the highest evolution of Brit, a New Yorker, um, who's, you know, from the original 13 colonies, we are heavily socialized with, uh, uh, colonial culture. We live in the sea of the American revolution, the French and Indian war, they call it the seven years war. I love that you're able to simultaneously envision yourself as the highest embodiment of Judaism and the highest embodiment of, uh, but you know, I know I, it, these are happy mistakes that I'm <laughs> willing to accept. You know, so um, and uh, well, I, you know, I, I, this is speaking. To, dude, this is exactly the point I was trying. I know, to, I know, it's right. We know. like to imagine ourselves as the tentacle. Well, it was. I was talking with, and was talking with two uh, Gen Z and Gen Y people. So it's four people, and I said, you know, every generation, new generation is the most progressive generation. Yeah. So just, I was like, just keep that in mind. Because what's going to happen is, is the next generation is going to come, whichever that number is or letter, and they are going to be more progressive than you. Right. And then, and with the, the, the subtext of that is that <laughs> once you hit the age of say 50 or 60, now suddenly you were the most progressive generation right. and the new uh, generation that's coming up is a bunch of friggin' barbarians. Yeah. And they're destroying everything that you worked so hard to create. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's the thing is that, you know, we, you know, in the podcast, it was just, it was really great example. They, you know, they thoughtfully went through the history in a series of episodes of the revolution and so forth. But it was, it was distinctly from a sort of, you know, British perspective and, and they do a fair job at some of the events and stuff like that but they don't have the soul of what the American revolution was about because they're Brits. Oh, nice. And, you know, we still, we did the burning of Kingston in that, in October. You know, yeah. We we're heavily socialized with lobster blacks and the tarring and feathering and the, in, the intolerable act, which the British called the coercive acts. I mean, it's so stupid. Like just, you know, call this super happy, fantastic hour. They go brand it the right way. Um, and, and so they try to get through this in a way, the way in which they're trying to be really soft to the Brits. But the reality is, is that the Brits ne needed to pay for a world war with the French. They wanted us to pay for it. They didn't, we, we, we had a very different way of governing that was more participatory. Uh, there was a lot more landholders if you had land and you could vote. So there was a, there was a, there was a tremendous difference in the governance that would evolved that was an appendage of the uh the british the british parliamentary system and i and my my statement to them would be read benedict arnold's letter to america our biggest traitor <laughs> he's planted in saint mary's church in battersea yep buried his continental uniform you know to be a benedict arnold means to be the biggest traitor he's the hero of saratoga lost his leg there 
re- he, but he felt that the grievances were settled and we need to be, we need to integrate back into the British empire. And that's why he did what he did. Yeah. Now we know there's more to that story, but his letter to the American people, which was published in multiple papers to explain why he switched sides or what he was trying to do with West Point is the reason, right? And once you get to that is the reason why we, the British perspective of the reason why we broke away. But once you get to the point where you're past the point of no return, which is what Benedict Darling to understand, but you're now, you've crossed the Rubicon and we now have blood that's been spilled and we're now moving in a direction of, of, of a republic without a monarchy. I don't think you can get, I don't think you can circle back. And that's, I think, the, the, one of the tragedies of Benedict Arnold is not understanding exactly what's going around him with his colleagues. Um, but, but also the Brit, these Brits don't get it. Yep. Uh, we're in the podcast, but, um, I remember what happened last night. So last night I had, so my friends went on vacation. They bought a new house while on vacation. And I had gotten them a, a thoughtful gift. Um, I think gifts need to be three things. They need to be, they need to be funny, funny, practical, and, and, and something that's, that's interesting that may not be the, any one of those two things. If you can find one gift that has it, then, then you would, then you, uh, then, then that's great. But sometimes it's multiple gifts. So I found this really thoughtful and practical gift. So that, that, that was a, not put on your pod, gravity feature pod for their house as a house for me. But when they left, I put a sign up inside their fence on the interior of the fence that was from checkpoint Charlotte. You know, it's in, it's in Russian, it's in German, it's in French and English. It says you're leaving the American sector. It was a reproduction. Yep. And the 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 old one, the owner said uh, you know they came back and discovered it and then we got into a conversation about it. They said it's not real, is it? I said no, it's a reproduction. And and they go, and I said, but but I do have a real one. It's my my mother, you know, she went to Checkpoint Charlie in '69, and uh, and when I was able to get it, and they go, how did you get it? I said, well, I you know I was I happened to be in in York in and during the in the during during the '90s, the early '90s, and. And through some of my early government contacts, we were able to go into a, a maintenance shed and find just like lying in you know, a stack with all these replacement signs. And I, I, I nicked one and I put it in my shirt and I, and I left with it. Um, and I said, can we, can we take these? I said, well, I don't know if we can get away with it. And blah, blah. And so I put a magnet on the back and now it sits on the door going out to the garage of my mother's house. And she, she has this sort of nostalgic look at uh-huh. that because she went to checkpoint Charlie. And the response to that by one of the, by the, one of the artist's house, well, what, what, how, what, a, like how colonizer of you, she said. And I said, that's not colonizing. That's opportunistic. That was the instance I said, cause it was just, it, I wasn't, First of all, we weren't oppressing anybody, I don't think. Um, but a lot of people don't realize that once the once the Berlin Wall fell down, there was a lot of still security, and then there was a evolution of the dismantling and disbursement of all that stuff. Um, but she's a colonizing colonizer of you, and I said, "Well, let's not colonize. That's opportunistic." And they go, "What's the difference?" And that's what I said. Colonizing is planting a flag, a flag on land you, that you just encountered and saying it's yours, and then 
starting a campaign of changing what is to what what you want it to be. Yeah, and that's colonizing. But our, our particular societal context is is that for that we've become hyper aware of the notion of colonization, and so we're we're throwing. Um, the term colonizer around as an accusation when in fact none of us has ever been involved in a form of colonization. We're, we're the products of different types of colonization, I suppose. Well, that's all. I would argue that what happened in Afghanistan is probably in most recent years, a, 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 and I I would say probably, I'm trying to think the most, I would go back to something like like Bosnia and the Serbs the for the first um the first you know the Bosnian war and then Kosovo would be that would be I think colonizing. Yeah, you're right. I didn't have that in mind when I so I'll, I'll walk that back. No, no, so I would say that's the, that's my yeah, but then I would say that then there was a leap and then it went to Afghanistan. Yeah. Afghanistan <clears throat> Iraq was about destroying infrastructure and disruptive operations. Uh that was about um uh, it's taking Syria, Libya, uh, and uh, Yemen. Uh, that's about destroying. That's about destroying the structure, civilizations, and organ and 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 government structure. Afghanistan, American Afghanistan for twenty two years was pro- is probably the closest we have. I'm not sure about China. I want to think about some of the places in China, but is the most closest we have to to colonization. We 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 implemented not only a military campaign, but an economic structure, and then a cultural structure that was not indigenous to the people. Yeah. So we, we trained essentially in 22 years, a whole slew, a whole slew of individuals that, that learned, well, there's a gravy train. If you get on the gravy chain, we're going to then uh, take care of you. And anybody who's not on the gravy train, uh, and there is, 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 is not Western, mm-hmm. is not, liberal uh and so i mean there was whereas i remember one one member of the non-western entities saying to me well you know at least the russians when they came here they built infrastructure they built carbon buildings they built this they built that they go everything you do is 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 about cultural and he said genocide now this is this Mm -hmm. taliban guy Mm -hmm. and he said cultural genocide and I go, I said, walk me through that. And he goes, well, you know, here's the deal. You know, you're, you're all about, you're all about women's empowerment. And, and he goes, you can't, and this is a Taliban there. He goes, you can't empower women without security, economic development, and education, and then have some kind of governance. If you don't have any governments, it's all corrupt. None of that's going to work. Yeah. Right? So, and then they said, he said one of the famous Taliban line. You know, you guys, you guys got the money, but we've got the watches. We've got the time is on our side. And so, and I go, uh, you know, okay. And so it, it turns out it's right. Uh-huh. And so, you know, we're talking even now about what happened there. We pulled out and all that infrastructure, all that stuff is gone. Now you quite argue that it all had to be with that had to do with an economy of supporting international development initiatives, and regardless of what happens to the country, all that money was made, and all those jobs were made, 
and so forth, which is true. But because we have a war economy and we have that, we have a development economy and then we have services, right? So we have education and legal and all that stuff. So the challenge is, is like, you know, it's probably the closest we've had to try to, in, in recent years, in the last 50 years, besides the Bosnian and Kosovo, Kosovo War, to institute a, a change in culture. And that culture decided, no, the Taliban is not a foreign entity. They're, they're Afghans. Yeah. They said no. And the government crumbled in, 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 in a matter of weeks because it's not indigenous to them and it's not who they are as a culture, as a people. What do you think? No, I, I agree. I mean, I, I don't pretend to be an expert in these things at all, but, but, but it's not really socialized. Yes. You know, in the news, my, uh, uneducated impression is that it's ridiculous to, for, for people with one culture and society and history to go into a place where there is a completely different culture and society and history and assume that they will embrace with open arms something that is totally foreign and alien to them. But you can use money or power, like force, to try to pave that way as much as possible. As long as you can sustain it. But it, yeah, it's always going to be an uphill battle, right? I mean, the, the, the way that Catholicism became the dominant force or belief system in Mesoamerica was through absolute decimation of everything other than Catholicism, Meh. right? It destroyed it. Um, and so one thing effectively completely supplanted the other. And even so, the result of that is an interesting mixture. It is very Catholic, but it's also very lots of other things. There's the survival of the sort of the remnants of, of, of these, of the cultures in, in, in these sort of, right. And, you know, so you can never like. I think that part of the problem here is going in with false premises in the sense that we want to say, you know, that all we want to do is give you freedom so that you can, um, you, you can make choices to create the best society in your own way and for yourselves that you want, but that's not actually what we're doing. It's, it's it's interesting because when I was, I, I you know I was definitely part of of the combine in in, in it, and when I went in 2012, when I guess going to so when the PRTs, the provincial reconstruction teams, the provincial councils, and um, and USAID would come to a stalemate, I would go to all the different areas. So I had a circuit, so we'd go to Jamalabad, and I'd go to Kunduz, and I would go to Parat, and. Parliament and all those places, and I would sort of figure out a, a path forward. And my idea was, okay, how do we get simple things across the line so people can build relationships, so we can start moving this, this process forward? You know, we get a bridge, 
know, this, get to that. And we can't go for the bridge right off the bat. But one of the things that I did in 2012 was, was talk about elections. And I was, it was difficult because the Department of State wanted me to talk about the difference between the Afghan electoral, electoral system and the American electoral system. And the word democracy is thrown around a lot and we we're talking about, you know, we're, you know, we're a republic, right? So, so the problem is, and we have the electoral college and I was supposed to explain this stuff, but where I would always go is, is there's no two democracies are the same, much like no two Muslims are the same. Yeah. And, and then I can say, look, so I'm going to give you an example. The, the British democratic system is, is insane to us because there's a house of Lords, a hereditary body that governs over its people. It doesn't make it's, it's out, it's outlandish to us, which is what those guys in the podcast didn't get. Once you get a little taste of freedom and ownership and land ownership. And on top of that, are able to build your own economy to build a legacy and support your family. Nobody wants to answer to some nerd who's got a title. Uh-huh. In Afghanistan, when during that time, I'd say you guys have been practicing democracy longer than us, the sure and journal level. We call them informal systems in a very pejorative, ter- very pejorative terminology to sort of discount their the the the, the, the Afghan process of self governance at the local level. Uh-huh. And the decision making would translate to what we would consider a national level, but we're talking to a body of so like like the system that would work in Afghanistan is like America before the revolution and be like states' rights. Yep. And then the federal system would would provide infrastructure and national defense and uh like maybe healthcare or something. But the states would would then run things. And that would be a very appropriate system to have implemented in Afghanistan because you have different ethnicities. So like, you know, in the, in the North West, you know, you have Uzbeks, right? It's center on Mazar. And then you have, you know, Haratis who are their own people. They're the hippies, the artists. And then you have in the North, North East, you have Tajiks, right? And the South, you have the Pashtu. And then, in, you know, in the middle, you have uh, the, the Nyan. Oh gosh, now I'm forgetting all this stuff. I'm just so tired, I guess, from this day. But, um, the challenge is, is that you have all these different groups that are distinct ethnic, cultural, uh, and even from a religious perspective, different, uh, diverse, and are all in a combine under the under the auspices of being Afghan, and they all consider themselves Afghan. They all know each other. They all speak multiple languages, and and so the idea would be is that a decentralized federal system would have really worked in Afghanistan. At least I think so. Um, but we implemented something very, very different. And so when I did those speeches and I talked and said, you know, no two Afghans are the same, just like no two Muslims are the same, like no two democracies are the same, and you're practicing. I, I, a lot of the, the older guys, and guys that were, in attendance at the, that were part of the, 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 the ulama councils on local level were, were bought into that. And so I, you know, carry kind of a heavy burden for convincing people to go along with the process under the auspices that they could overlay 
and it being powered by their systems that actually worked for thousands of years. The challenge is, is that the powers that be were very, very clear to advocate, to, to delineate those as informal systems and treat, keep ramming down what we were trying to do for what, from a Western-centric, I don't mean Western-centric, I mean like Western Hemisphere-centric position. And so, it, and it, but it didn't work. The culture lived and survived and outlived it. Yeah. Right or wrong. Because people say the Taliban's terrible, which they, they are, but they're also peacefully walked across the country and took, took the seat of power from us. Mm-hmm. And that ended 22 years of America trying to develop the country and, and, and mold it into a different light. And it's, it's strange. Yeah. Well, there's a difference between something that's contrived. Yeah. Like, I think that, um, within the, the, the whole framework of our motivations in that part of the world, it's disingenuous at some level or another, we're always trying to pull one over and hope that we get away with it. And ultimately we can't. Well, nobody, nobody actually said this was what was said repeatedly to me. You're the first American that's ever said that that's ever said our systems have been here longer. Our system, you know, and I said, well, I, I do carry, you know, Afghan blood in me. So I believe all that stuff. But the problem is, is that they said, no one's ever asked us what we want. Yep. And what they want is jobs. Housing, you know, basics, the basic stuff of Maslow's pyramid, right? Right. So the, the average Afghani will essentially want the same thing that every human being wants. Afghans are people, Afghanis. We want to have a roof over our heads. We want to have food to eat. We don't want to be terrified for ourselves and our family. Okay. And you would know that. I lived in Chelsea too. And, 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 and I remember when the, na- when the neighborhood changed and you'd see like a guy that was just a normal guy that all of a sudden he's wearing a head to toe Adidas and you go, Daesh got to him. Yeah. You know, my, my drivers, my, I'm very close to my drivers, but like the guys that I was with, we, lived, we, we drove around in soft shell vehicles and I was very, very close to them because I would always go to these all those historical sites. I'd be like, I hear about this or I had to drive out there and they're like, well, it's not going to be safe. I'm like, well, we can muddle through with my, with our language and we could figure out what's going on. And, uh, they need, they need, uh, they need $400 a month. They need $400 a month. You could make 800 to to $1,000 a month if, the, if you went with Dias. Yeah. And they, they, you know, and I, I, you know, I made sure I subsidized not only their income, but we had one guy I, I bought a car for him. Uh, but the problem was, is that you couldn't, you, you can't, you, they, they, it, it was a, the argument was, well, how do I feed my family? Yeah. You know, that I mean, that it's the, the basic premise of survival. And if someone's paying more for less, then I got, I got to do that. Right. You know? Yeah. In any event, I think we've, you know, so we're saying colonization's bad <laughs> or is, is that what we're saying? 
yeah, that's uh, yeah, that that's the 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 moral of this episode. Why we should all be ashamed of ourselves for being colonizers. So, <laughs> um, but in any event, I think we've 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 the colonization's bad. Historical uh, inquiry is good. I think the the real moral of this episode is the moral of every episode, which is it's complicated, people. <laughs> okay, so, okay. Yeah, we should call me the just Captain Obvious.